Democrats and other small-minded, sanctimonious putzes are absolutely shocked at the behavior of teenage Second Amendment supporter Kyle Kashuv. Harvard University rescinded its acceptance of Kashuv because of his support of freedom and the guns required to defend it, but pretended they were doing it because Kashuv used some ugly racist language when he was 16 in order to shock people because he was 16. Virginia Governor Ralph Northam rushed to condemn Kashuv's racist remarks, telling reporters, quote, it is utterly disgusting that Kashuv used language so offensive to the race I was pretending to be when I wore blackface while in medical school and posed in a photograph with another student dressed as a Klansman, unless it turns out I was the Klansman, in which case the language was okay and I'm going to burn a cross on Harvard's lawn, unquote. Rachel Dolezal also weighed in on Kashuv's remarks, saying, quote, As a former fake black person, I am in deep fake shock to hear these ugly remarks about the race I was pretending to be when I conned my way into a job at the NAACP and a job teaching African studies at East Washington University. The sort of language Kashuv used could incite the sort of hate crimes I pretended were committed against me when I pretended I was attacked for the race I pretended being, unquote. Another offended Democrat was presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren, who told a gathering of supporters, quote, as a former fake Native American, I feel a sense of connection with all fake minorities and all the fake prejudice they and I have pretended to suffer throughout the years. It's dopey 16-year-olds saying stupid stuff they don't really believe that has set fake race relations back to the point where we can fake being shocked in order to distract what we're really up to, and that's what Harvard has done, unquote. All in all, Democrats agree that Kashuv's adolescent remarks are a tremendous fake insult to all the fake minorities throughout the Democrat Party. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Harvard sucks. They suck. What Harvard did to Kyle Kashuv sucks. Kyle's former classmate turned political enemy uh, came after the pro-Second Amendment teenager by unearthing some stupid stuff he wrote when he was 16, and Harvard responded by rescinding Kyle's acceptance. Kyle repeatedly used the N-word, trying to be shocking when he was 16, which is typical garbage adolescent male behavior. And anyone who says, oh, well, I was an adolescent and I never used that word, do yourself a favor and shut up. Sit for a minute. Think. It should take you approximately three seconds to remember something equally horrible and unforgivable that you did do sometime in your life. And if you can't do that, congratulations, you're a sociopath without a conscience because we've all done unforgivable things every single one of us. That's why we forgive each other, especially young people, especially when they're just experimenting with being shocking instead of actually expressing racist beliefs as Kyle was. And in fact, Harvard's diversity office accepted Kyle's clearly heartfelt apology, but the admissions office still booted him. Why? You really have to ask, would they have done the same thing to a leftist? Like hell, they would. The fact is, Harvard isn't Harvard anymore. Like Yale, like the New York Times and NBC News and Disney and a whole lot of other institutions, they've been body snatched by the left. Leftism is like that alien in the first Men in Black movie. Remember, he kills the farmer, then he puts on the farmer's skin, then he rambles around doing a poor imitation of the farmer so he can wreak havoc. Harvard is just a Harvard suit with leftism inside. The New York Times is just a newspaper skin with leftism inside. They are not what they appear to be, but for as long as they can wear the skin, they keep the prestige 
earned by the better people who came before them. Kyle's only consolation is that Harvard is the gateway to an elite that has been completely discredited and is being rejected throughout the West for its utter failure to do anything but limit our freedoms and surrender our culture to an increasingly pinched and oppressive way of life. The elite themselves are no longer elite, just leftism inside an elite skin, destroying what was built by a better elite from generations past. So screw Harvard, Kyle. You can get a better education at Hillsdale or by reading a good book. We're going to talk about this more. I'm clearly annoyed. I'm annoyed that Harvard gets to pretend to be Harvard any longer and treat people like this is a terrible thing. Hey, you are looking, I know when you look at me, you're so dazzled by my beauty. It's hard to think clearly about what you're really looking at, but you're looking at a lifelong freelancer. I am a freelancer. I always have been, uh, or I have been since my youth. And you want to know how to find good freelance talent for your business or project. And that's why there's Fiverr. Finding the right freelancer can be time-consuming, frustrating, and expensive. If you go to Fiverr, you can do it fast and for a good price. Fiverr helps find, makes finding the right freelancer uh, less of a struggle. Fiverr's marketplace connects businesses with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, and more. Find what you're looking for instantly. Search by service, delivery time, price reviews, just to name a few. You'll know exactly what you're paying for upfront, no negotiating needed. Finally, Fiverr has services you can trust using seller ratings, levels, and buyer, buyer feedback. It's simple to review, compare, <coughs> compare, and purchase the services you need from sellers you trust. Take five and check out Fiverr.com and you will receive 10% off your first order by using my code Clavin. It's so easy. Don't waste any more time and get the service you deserve by going to Fiverr. It's F I V E. R-R. There's two R's, F-I-V-E-R-R.com, code Claven. Again, that's Fiverr.com, code Claven. And you know, you know, there's two R's in Fiverr, but how many E's are there in Claven? That's what you're wondering. No E's in Claven. There's never E's in being Claven. It is just, I look, make it look easy, but it's always, always hard. The mailbag is tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's why people are screaming wildly all over the place. Go to dailywire.com and subscribe. A lousy 10 bucks for a month, a lousy 100 bucks for the year. And I'll answer your questions. And all my answers are guaranteed correct. And will change your life, sometimes for the better. Go to dailywire.com, hit the podcast button, hit the Andrew Claven podcast, hit the mailbag uh, symbol, and you can ask me about anything you want. That is a pretty good deal. Also, you should know that this is the last week before my vacation, so a Clavenless week is coming up. You want to store water, uh, food, guns probably, uh, you know, acid baths, knives, anything that will keep help you keep alive as the leftist zombies accumulate during the Clavenless week. So suck out all the Clavenny goodness you can get this week uh, because uh, it's coming. The Clavenless week is coming. Um, you know, I, sometimes I look at never-Trumpers, the guys who are never-Trumpers, and, you know, I understand this is their conscience, but sometimes I think that a lot of them were, were that kid in, in school who would get punched or something, and they would say, well, just because you punch me doesn't make you right, you know? Because sometimes when kids are kind of like little weedy intellectuals, they like to tell themselves, well, yeah, you're bigger than me, and you get all the girls, and you're on the football team, and maybe you beat me up, but, you know, I'm a smarter, better person than you. And, and a lot of times, that's true. They are smarter better people than the bullies and all that. And I think they look at Donald Trump and they think, here is that guy, that bully, 
is in office doing more than I could ever do. And I'm not, you know, mentioning Bill Crystal or anything like that, but I'm just saying, I look at that guy and I think he's the guy who thought like, oh yeah, well, I'm not smarter than you are. And there's Donald Trump doing all the stuff that Bill Crystal couldn't get done and doing it better. And he hates him for it. And the reason that Donald Trump, somebody wrote uh, in the Claremont Review uh, the other day, somebody wrote uh, that that Donald. Oh, it was uh, Nathan Podhoris was giving an interview, and they said Donald Trump may not be a man for all seasons. He may not be a man for every hundred years. He is the man for this season, and the reason he is the man for this season is because there. All our institutions have been eaten away inside by leftism. Our most important institutions have been eaten away by this censorious, small-minded, pinch-hearted philosophy of leftism, this anti-freedom philosophy of leftism. And they're walking around like the guy in Men in Black. They still look like the New York Times, you know, kind of misshapen version of the New York Times. Still look like this misshapen version of Harvard. Uh, Still looks like this misshapen version of Yale. But inside, it is just... Just this small, mean, anti-freedom philosophy that does nothing for anybody, that destroys our cities and would destroy our country, has destroyed the culture of Europe, utterly gutted Europe. I mean, Europe is just a shell of its former self walking around. Europe is a good example. Europe is walking around and people go, oh, it's Europe. But it's not Europe anymore. It's not the Europe of Michelangelo or Shakespeare or Mozart. It's the Europe of nothing. It's the Europe of, oh, you know, I don't want to work. I'm going to riot because you made me work more than 38 hours a week. You know, that's the, that is the Europe that's left walking around looking like the Europe of, of a it's great culture. Let's see if they can rebuild Notre Dame, and then I'll tell you if there's anything left of Europe. You know, George Will made this comment recently, and, and I, I have time for George Will. He's just like kind of an old-fashioned uh, guy. He's from a day, Andrew Breitbart always used to say, yeah, George Will is great. He's from the time when the Republicans were in the minority, uh, and they figured they always would be, and they didn't want to win. Uh, but he made this comment the other day about all this um, anti-elite nationalism, populism that's rising up throughout the West. Mr. Trump represents is a pandemic, indiscriminate revolt against elites, ignoring the following fact. The question is never will elites rule. Of course they will, by definition. The question is which elites. And the problem of democracy is to get public consent to worthy elites. And the kind of constant harping about elites, again, the crybaby conservatism. People are picking on us. People are manipulating us. We don't have real moral agency. We're, we're just passive. Somebody else's vict- fault. We're vi- it's victimology right. now embraced by conservatives. Nonsense. That's nonsense. It doesn't even make any sense, right? People, he just said that people are throwing out the elites. That's not victimology. These elites deserved it. They lost this fight. They lost it on the right by ceding the ground to these leftists, by being afraid to speak out, by being afraid to uh, be called racist, by being silenced like the people in uh, a, a quiet place. You know, they walk around not saying anything because they're afraid that the leftist racist monster is going to come and eat them up. You know, you're a racist. No, no, please, please. Don't call me a racist. I'll do anything. That's why they've been rejected. They gave away the country. They gave away the culture. And now they're saying, why did you kick us out? We kicked us, you out because you failed. And Donald Trump may be a bully. He may be obstreperous. He may be a loudmouth and a bore. But at least he stands up for the country and for what, uh, what it should be and what it is and what it has been all these years. This thing with Harvard, 
it, it really gets me. I, I'll get back to it in just a minute. Let me talk about this terrific new app, uh, Big Token, which is so much fun. I mean, go on. It, it's really fun. And also, it's fun, but you can also make money. See, what you do with, on, with Big Token is you share data about yourself, your interests and your habits, and then you get paid for it. Because right now, you're doing that anyway, right? Anytime you go on a website, it says, do you accept this, our deal, our privacy rules? And their privacy rules are really have no uh, privacy. But when you go on Big Token, you can get paid for the data you put in. Here's how it works. You download the app, sign up for a free Big Token account, you complete actions to earn points. And that includes answering surveys or checking into locations or connecting your social accounts. And then you can redeem your points or rewards for rewards. I'm sorry, redeem your points for rewards, such as cash and gift cards and also cash. Or you can even donate your earnings to charity. You choose what data you share with Big Token and then you get paid for it. And you can also get more points uh, by referring friends and family. Your data is always secure in Big Token. If you want to start earning money for your data, go to the App Store or Google Play, search for Big Token, B-I-G-T-O-K-E-N, all one word, download the app and sign up. Make sure to use my referral code, Clavin. Again, search Big Token in the App Store or Google Play, download the app and use my referral code, Clavin, to sign up, claim your data and get paid. This thing with Harvard, it, it, it really does, it really does disgust me. And I go on Twitter and people are saying, well, why didn't you defend DC McAllister when the Daily Wire uh, fired her for saying something awful to a gay guy and also the Federalist fired her, although that may have been personal since uh, she offended the publisher's wife. I did defend her. I came on and I said, I, I thought what she said was disgusting. I told her personally, I told Denise personally, I thought it was disgusting and, un, uh, and unacceptable, but I didn't think she should be fired. I think we give people a chance. Now, I got to say with Denise, she's still on Twitter. I, you know, I told her to like, she's such a good writer and she has so much to say. I told her, get off Twitter for a while and just do your writing, but she's still there, still defending her remarks. So that makes it different. I mean, that, it makes it harder. It makes it harder to defend when she's still saying, oh, I just said this or I just said that. What she said was ugly. But, you know, people make mistakes. I mean, this is the thing. People make mistakes. And in a fast-moving 24-7 world with Twitter where you're throwing things out there, sometimes you say something and you think like, ah, the minute you press the button, you think, dang, I shouldn't have said that. Or you get caught or you don't think about it and you get caught. You know, it, I just think we have to have some forgiveness about this stuff, especially, especially when people didn't mean what they were doing. I mean, especially when somebody is a kid. DC is an adult. She has to suffer the consequences of what she does. But but I did stand up for her. And I've even stood up for people I detest. I, I love DC, but I, I stand up for people I detest, like, uh, like Alex Jones, who I just think is an awful person. But I think he has the right to speak and he shouldn't be silenced uh, because it just gives him more power. It gives him this secret power to, you know, then it sounds like people are saying the truth. They have to drop their voice to speak the truth. And we don't want that. We want people to have to stand up and defend their ideas. So here is um, uh, Kyle Kasher. And he did a stupid thing. And I'm, nobody's offended. He used the N-word repeatedly and all this stuff. He did a stupid thing. But he's clearly sorry. He gives a, an interview. Ed Henry did a terrific interview with him where he really held his feet to the fire. Uh, play cut number one. He's obviously really sorry. Well, at that time, it was really um, a friend group where who could say the most shocking thing and most extreme thing uh, for the sake of shock value. Um, and I'm extremely sorry for it. Um, and I wish I could have taken it back, but I can't. Um, mm -hmm. All I can do right now is seek to right this wrong. And I know that forgiveness isn't given, it's earned. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that, you know, the person who wrote those things is not who I am today. How do um, we know that? Because uh, you certainly sound heartfelt, 
but you want to get something. You want to get into Harvard or get into another school? And how do we know that you're not just saying, oh, I didn't mean it? It's a fair question. Um, because at every single possibility uh, that I could have, uh, ever since I've become a public figure, I've condemned racism, I've condemned hatred. Um, and that's why we've seen the alt-right come after me so hard, because I've condemned them um, for their racism and, f and for their hatred. So th that's the first thing. I mean, he, he says that, he, you know, he is saying, this is not who I am. That's the first thing. But he can also prove that it's not who he, am, who he is, because he also said all this other stuff about, you know, I've I, I got to translate it into pronounceable words I can use, but stuff like come and rape me and I want to sleep with a dog. And uh, he attacked Jews. He is a Jew. Here's, here's this cut where this, he said something like kill all the Jews. Here's his proof that he wasn't saying what he means. Look, what I said is indefensible and wrong, and I apologize for repeatedly. Um, but what's also in that same message is I use anti-Semitic mm -hmm. jokes. Um, and I basically pray every week. I'm Jewish. My parents are Jewish. They immigrated from Israel. Um, half my family was, was wiped out in the Holocaust. Uh, so clearly, um, that's not indicative of who I am. Um, I'm Jewish. Right. And there's, I'm not anti-Semitic at all. So on that point, you're Jewish. I can't question your faith or anyone's faith. But why in the world would you say, kill all the Jews was one of the things you said? You're Jewish. Uh, you just told me many members of that. your family were killed in the Holocaust, and I'm certainly sorry about that. How could you possibly say kill all the Jews? Because it was in a time where the person who could say the most shocking thing, and, and that's what, that was the aura of the group. I, I mean, that sounds very plausible to me. The kid has relatives who died in the Holocaust. He's a practicing Jew. He's going to temple. You know, he's obviously being a 16-year-old kid. You know, does he deserve a clap on the back of the head? Yeah, most 16-year-old kids do. I just think it's absolutely absurd, and it's all this double standard. First of all, Harvard is an, not just an institu uh, racist institution. It's an institutionalized racism. I mean, they are keeping Asian kids from coming in on the basis of race and defending the practice. Oh, yeah, you know, because we want diversity, so we don't want all those yellow people coming in here just because they do well on tests. You know, they have used, they have again and again used practices to make sure that Asian kids don't come in and get, just like they used to do with the Jews. When they started letting the Jews in, they didn't want too many Jews because the Jews were then the smart people and they were the ones with a culture of reading, so they had a lot, they could get in more easily. They had quotas for Jews, too, and they, so they are just more racist. I mean, he was just being a smart-ass 16 year old kid, but they actually are defending their woke racism. And all these people just attacking him, uh, it's all, um, you know, there are celebrities coming after him. Uh, you know, people, all these people saying this stuff, sorry, all, all these people saying this stuff about him, it's just like unforgiving, graceless stuff, and it's all double standards, right? What's his name? Uh, the governor of Virginia, he's still in place. He dressed up as a in blackface or as a Klansman, one or the other, and then lie, and he's lying about it now, and he's was everyone said he had to resign. He's never gonna resign. We remember uh, you know, Joe Biden said that stuff about how what a wonderful thing it was that Barack Obama was a, a clean African American. It only goes one way. And you know, that kid David Hogg, remember Laura Ingram had to apologize to David Hogg? He's the uh, anti-gun activist who came out of the same school shooting. And when when people attacked him, I, and it's kind of a, 
a fascist, David Hogg. And when, you know, when he was shouting things and raising his fist in the air and anybody said anything about him, it's like, that is, he was shot at in a school. You, this is a young man. You can't attack a young man. Laura Ingram had to apologize when she mocked him because he couldn't get into school. And then he got into school, not on the basis of his grades and tests, because uh, Kyle's grades and tests were better. He got into school on the basis of his activism, on the basis of his anti-freedom activism, because Harvard isn't Harvard Harvard is leftism in a Harvard skin. That's why they are there now to train you to leftism. They are there to take the idea of freedom away to make sure that you learn about America as a bad place that has to be changed, that has to be fundamentally transformed. They are not the institution that they were. If there are some old guys still hanging on there, believe me, when they're replaced, they will not be replaced by patriots. This is true of, you know, and it, it's true of so much that we're looking at. I mean, it, it is amazing to me when we had this whole thing with uh, with uh, Steve Crowder attacking a journalist and making fun of a journalist, and Crowder is obviously this antic comedian, and he says all these things. CNN is now mobilizing to censor him, to get him not to get Crowder knocked off YouTube. Uh, you know, they, they want they want him deplatformed for being a comedian, not Samantha B, who in all seriousness uh, called Trump's daughter the c word. Not Samantha B. That's that's fine. You know, it, it doesn't even matter. Look, I'm glad CNN wasn't doing this in public. They were only doing it on CNN, so nobody was watching. But still, the kind of thing that they're saying is amazing. She, this is a reporter who had an interview with the Google CEO and was active, being an activist in favor of censorship. YouTube has taken a lot of heat also for these uh, homophobic videos, specifically ones aimed at this Vox journalist that are still on, even after they put out these new guidelines. I asked him directly, why is that still there, those videos? Are you going to take them down? And they're in the middle of reviewing their guidelines again, meeting with outside groups, and they're considering it, but they don't know at this point. I mean, if, if this is fundamental to your business, they have to make the decision about where that line is between hate and free speech. Yeah, I get it. I get that they, they say that, that less than 1% of the videos stay up, but that's still 9 so, million yeah. videos uh, last year. It's in a, a quarter. In a quarter. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. That, you know, there is no line between hate and free speech. There's only free speech and speech that is controlled by the powerful. But she's saying that because CNN isn't CNN. The news media isn't the news media. It is all leftism in a CNN suit, in a news media suit, demanding the same prestige they got when they were really news gathering institutions instead of leftist spreading institutions. You know, your teeth move as you get older. I'm so old, my teeth have now moved into another room. I'm just joking. But if you want to get your teeth fixed, the last thing you want to do is wear braces. So that's why I'm thrilled to tell you about Candid, the clear alternative to braces. We made Knowles wear these and look how great he looks. It, here's how it works. An orthodontist licensed in your state creates a treatment plan for you and provides you with a 3D preview of the final results. Candid only uses experienced orthodontists. Other companies use dental professionals. I don't even know what a dental professional is, but I'm not letting one near my mouth. Once you approve your 3D preview, Candid creates custom clear aligners that will be sent directly to you. No hassle having to go to an orthodontist office. Candid costs 65% less than braces, and you can save thousands of dollars and have straighter, brighter teeth in an average of just six months. You're one step away from getting straighter, brighter teeth. Just use my dedicated link, candidco.com slash Clavin to learn more and get $75 off. That's candidco.com slash Clavin, candidco.com slash Clavin. Well, sure, you know how to spell CO, but how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. You know, 
Last year, through a lot of last year, I was reading a lot of books about um, evolutionary psychology, I guess you'd call it, how we develop a conscience, how the evolutionists think we developed a conscience. And all of these books were massively entertaining, beautifully written, very charming, and had, were full of information about studies people are doing and uh, theories they're coming up with about why we develop the conscience that we have and how we evolved and what things set off our consciences and all this different stuff. And most of them included an attack on the idea of God, either an open attack on the idea of God or a subtle one, a subtle just assumption that there was no God, no spiritual world. And all of these were very uninformed. Like it was the part of the book where it was easy, even for me, just a barefoot teller of tales, it was easy for me to take their arguments to pieces. And after a while, I started to notice that all of the people writing these books, as Jonathan Haidt and Steven Pinker and uh, Yuval Harari and Paul Bloom, they were all of them secular Jews, you know, and I thought, and some of, and many of them secular Jewish uh, psychiatrists. And I thought to myself, well, you know, Christians persecuted Jews for hundreds and hundreds of years and persecuted them in the name of Christianity. It's no surprise that a lot of Jews have bailed out, have bailed out of the central religion of the West because it, it picked on them all the time. If you want people to be uh, enchanted by your religion, a good thing not to have pogroms. You know, that's a, that's a good thing to have. But it is interesting to me that there is a large strain in Jewish thought dedicated to materializing the world, to making sure there is nothing in the world that can be counted as supernatural or spiritual like the conscience, which I think is supernatural and spiritual. That's why I think their arguments about against God are so bad, and they don't really know anything about Christian theology, uh, and so their arguments are, are ill-informed. And again, I, the people are good people. They're writing interesting books. The books are charming and interesting and full of interesting data until they start talking about religion. And it got me to thinking about how much of what we think and where we come from derives from our religion, which makes a lot of sense because our religion is the way we look at the ultimate uh, meaning of the world. Right now in conservatism, there is a kind of debate going on between people who think that liberalism devours itself, like Sarah Amari, who attacked David French, and people like David French who think, no, we have to maintain liberalism. That is the only way to maintain our freedom. And the idea about uh, liberalism destroying itself is essentially the idea that liberalism is based on pre-liberal assumptions, like the assumption of a loving God, a forgiving God, a God who endows us with rights. And once you lose those assumptions because you are too busy being pluralistic and too busy uh, you know, uh, supplying everybody with freedom, so you have the freedom to dis discard those assumptions, freedom essentially begins to deteriorate uh, into uh, you know, free sex, but not free speech and all the things that we see happening, especially on the left. But it occurred to me, you know, it was easy to see that all the people making the argument against liberalism were Catholics. And in fact, a lot of this movement started in the excellent magazine, First Things, uh, which is essentially a Catholic intellectual magazine. And the people making the argument in favor of liberalism, like David French, tended to be Protestant uh, and even, you know, or evangelicals. I guess that's the same thing. They tended to come from Protestant religions because, of course, America is is essentially the product of the product of Protestantism. It's essentially uh, derives from the idea that you are guided by your inner light, that you read the scriptures through by your inner light, and you as an individual can find your way to God. And you don't need priests and you don't need authorities where Catholicism has a more uh, top-down kind of religion. And both sides, in fact, if you want to include the Jews, the secular Jews, I would say all three sides actually have a point. I mean, you can't learn about the material world. The Jews are right. You can't learn about the material world without 
uh, with, with God getting in the way. In other words, you have to put aside God, the assumption of God, in order to just study the material world because everything is material. The thing is, material is a language God uses for speaking about spiritual things, but all things have material causes and one cause leads to another and all those things. So you, you don't look at the world spiritually when you're practicing science. I think that makes perfect sense. But also, I think that there is no Protestantism without Catholicism, right? Protestantism is a protest. It's a reactionary, uh, a reactionary movement, a reaction to Catholicism. So the Catholics are, have a point that there are uh, pre-liberal assumptions that go into liberalism. And the Protestants have a point that you can't preserve the product of those pre-liberal uh, assumptions without being liberal. You can't chain people to their freedom. You can't make people be free. People have a, who want to be free, they have to embrace the religion that makes them free. They have to embrace the assumptions that make them free. You can't force them or you've lost the freedom. The left also has a religion. The, it, it, the, their religion is atheism. Their religion is materialism. Not the kind of materialism I was talking about before, but an absolute dedication to the idea that if you move materials around, you can eliminate human sin. You can eliminate human injustice. If you take the money away from the guy who made it and give it to somebody else, that person's poverty will go away. It's not that person's behaviors that are putting him, uh, making him impoverished. It's that he just doesn't have the money that this guy has. So you take that money and you give it there. There's no charity. It's an entitlement. He's entitled to that money. And then some, somehow that's going to solve his problem. When you take, have that idea, you have the idea, you make you make yourself essentially into a god. And we were talking about this a little bit yesterday. We were talking about the, the abolition of man and the idea that fewer and fewer people are telling more and more people who they should be as humankind. This is a very unforgiving God. And this is the thing that I think is coming out of Harvard. As you see it on Twitter, you see it every time somebody is outrage mobbed, every time somebody is swamped, every time we, we are told that we have to live like the people in a quiet place, afraid to open our mouths, afraid to admit our past because of apologies. If you're on the right, your apologies are no good here. You know, your apologies cannot be cashed. This is a very unforgiving God they worship. The way we think about God affects the way we think about life, affects the life that we see. And the way that the left thinks about God, it is they are the gods. They are the gods, and they are an unforgiving God, a small-minded God, an anti-freedom God. And they have infested and infected some of our greatest institutions, and they have effect, infected the, the elite as a whole. And the elite is no longer the elite, and these institutions are no longer those institutions. They're simply the religion, the God, the unforgiving God of leftism. I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but come over to dailywire.com. While you're there, subscribe. Then you can ask questions in the mailbag. Go to dailywire.com, hit the uh, podcast button, hit the Andrew Clavin podcast, hit the mailbag symbol, and you too can ask questions about religion, about politics, about your personal life. I will answer them all. My answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life for the better. Tune in tomorrow and find out. Sarah Sanders is leaving the, um, she's leaving her post as the president, the White House spokeswoman. I just want to play this clip of Sarah Sanders taking the press apart and why we're going to miss her. Say, Sarah, that, that journalists make honest mistakes and that doesn't make them fake news. But uh, the question but that I have. When journalists make honest mistakes, they should own up to them. Uh, sometimes. And a lot of times you the don't. The but there's a difference. The there's a very big. I'm sorry. I'm not finished. There's a very big difference between making honest mistakes and purposefully misleading the American people. Something that happens regularly. You can't say I'm not done. 
You cannot say you cannot say that it's an honest mistake when you're purposely putting out information that you know to be false or when you're taking information that hasn't been validated, that hasn't been uh, offered any credibility and that has been continually denied by a number of people, including people with direct knowledge of an instance. This is something uh, that... I'm speaking about the number of reports that have taken place over the last couple of weeks. I'm simply stating that there should be a certain level of responsibility in that process. Brian, I called on Jim. This is not uh, the, the line of questioning that I was going down, but can you cite a specific story that you say is intentionally false, that was intentionally put out there to mislead the American people? Sure. The ABC report by Brian Ross, I think that was pretty misleading to the American people. And I think that it's very telling that that individual had to be suspended because of that reporting. I think that shows that the network took it seriously and recognized that it was a problem. Sarah, Jim? If I, if I may, though, I was going to ask a question about something well, else. Well, you used it on something well, else. Sarah, Jim? Sarah, if I may. Sarah, I not think today. We're going to keep moving, guys. If I can ask about the, the other president's uh, accusations. I'm moving to a different Jim. I'm sorry. I know, but I didn't get a, a chance to ask the, the question that I wanted to ask, which is. Jim. Can you just say once and for all whether the. Jim, I'm going to say once and for all that I'm moving on to Jim Stinson, and I'm not taking another question from you at this point. So I'm. I'm going to miss her. That was her taking uh, Jim Acosta to pieces. Uh, the left is just assaulting her. Uh, you know, as she walks out the door, the Washington Post wrote this a vicious, vicious attack against her. Washington Post, where democracy dies and ranks stupidity. <clears throat> and um, but she was she did a great job. She really did a great job with a president who we all know he goes off at the mouth sometimes. Uh, and, you know, you always have to defend your boss when you're the White House spokeswoman. And she did a terrific job of it. I think sometimes it was it was a little difficult because he does sometimes speak without thinking. Uh, but she she did a terrific job defending him and also putting the press in their place because the press has just been vicious and in a way that they were not to the last president. I mean, the opposite of the way they were to the last president. And that what what. That's why they have no excuse for what they're doing now. And I said this yesterday when Knowles was on, but it really is true. I wish they'd give Knowles the job, not just because we want to get rid of him, although, of course, <laughs> I mean, we do. But uh, but no, I think I think Knowles would just be a great choice. I really do. I, he's unflappable and he knows what he thinks and he knows why he thinks it. And he retains information really well, which I think is very important. You have to remember what you're talking about all the time. Uh, in that situation. And I think they should uh, they should actually interview him. I'm not kidding about it. Now, talking we're talking about the uh, the small minded God of leftism and its takeover of institutions. And there was this kind of rewarding story uh, out of at Oberlin, at Oberlin College, where they just got slammed with uh, tens of millions of dollars in damages for defaming a local bakery as racist. I mean, this really was now this I think it was something like 30 million, close to 40 million dollars. They were uh, uh, they were fined. But of course, that damage is those damages are going to go down. But at least it was a shot across the bow telling Oberlin College that they had done something wrong. And Oberlin has not admitted to it. And I don't think they think they did do something wrong, even though it was amazing what, in fact, they did. A couple of Oberlin students uh, tried to shoplift alcohol from a local bakery. And a store employee, who I think was the son of the owner of the bakery, chased the kid. The kids uh, attacked the guy was chasing him, but he somehow collared them and held them until the police arrived. And because the shoplifter was black, the, they started to tar the bakery as racist. And demonstrations went outside. The um, Oberlin said they had nothing to do with the demonstrations, but apparently at the 
uh, in the testimony at the trial, uh, one of the police officers who was there said that they the demonstrations were encouraged by the college. They they held up signs saying they were racist and they defamed them. And, and this was they they think this is OK. They created Oberlin, created the culture in which you can do this. And so the, the racism that is pouring out of the left. I mean, woke is racism. The, the racism against Asian people, the racism that tells black kids that they can't make it if they have to mingle uh, with white people and therefore they have to have their own dorms, which I have seen, which I just think is uh, unbelievable. <clears throat> All of this racism is pouring out of this woke society and it cannot, that, you know, that's why when it sees the kind of fake racism that they saw with Kyle, where he was just mouthing off and saying, you know, again, horrible, ugly things, stupid things, that 16, the kinds of things that 16-year-olds sometimes say to shock people. That's why they have to overreact because they know they're seeing their own racism and here they can attack it because it's attached to a right winger. You know, so much of what's happening, you know, it really is interesting. There's so m- a lot of interesting stuff happening in the world or you know, outside of uh, the U.S. Uh, <clears throat> when I was... Um, uh, when I was living in Santa Barbara, just before he died, Douglas Adams, the guy who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, moved to Santa Barbara. And I got to know him. And when he first moved in, he was an Englishman. I said, how do you like it here? And he said, it's great. The news blackout is a little tough to bear, meaning that here in America, we don't talk enough about what's going on in the rest of the world. But one of the things that's going on in the rest of the world is has been absolutely fascinating, which is these demonstrations that are taking place in Hong Kong. Somewhere around... Two million people demonstrated in Hong Kong, which is a fourth of the population, okay? So as you remember, Hong Kong was a British colony. The British had to turn it back to the Chinese. I don't know why, I guess because colonialism was over. And But the Chinese basically promised that they would be one nation with two systems because Hong Kong has been a free capitalist society and in being a free capitalist society has gone from essentially a fishing island into one of the wealthiest, freest places on earth and they do not want to give up that freedom. The... The Chinese have been encroaching slowly on that freedom. They've installed uh, the the governor. They've installed the person there who's running the place. And now they want the ability to extradite people for justice to China. China, where if you fall into the hands of Chinese justice, you you are a mouse in the paws of a cat. We know what the Chinese do to people, to dissidents, right? Because they have kidnapped people. Uh, there was a, a place called the Causeway Bay Bookstore, right? And Causeway Bay Books uh, was in Hong Kong, and they were dissidents, and they would attack China. And while the people who ran Causeway Books were traveling, were outside of Hong Kong, they were kidnapped by the Chinese and disappeared. And they, and they went into the Chinese legal system. So now China wants the right to... Uh, extradite people from Hong Kong to China, where essentially they will disappear, which would mean that in China, you would now, it would now be illegal to criticize, in Hong Kong, <clears throat> it would now be illegal to criticize the Chinese. And that, and that is the, the reason so many people are turning out to protest. And it, it's painful to me to watch two million, a quarter of the people protesting for their freedom, their freedom of speech, <clears throat> while CNN and Harvard are, and all these colleges are mobilizing against that freedom here. There's some instinct to oppress in humankind. There really is. There is something that does not want people, that people do not want one another to be free. 
And it is, it's a shame that once they get freedom, they use that freedom to oppress, to try and define speech they don't like as hate speech and then silence it. It is, it's so moving. It is so moving to see these people going up. I mean, eventually, I, I think they're going to lose. I think even though a quarter of the people are showing up, eventually, I think the Chinese are going to swallow them whole and there's not going to be a damn thing anyone can do about it. So far, um, you know, Mike Pompeo has spoken up about this. But Donald Trump is not. Donald Trump is going over to talk to the Chinese. And you always know when he wants to talk to people, he doesn't insult them. Uh, He tries to be nice to them, even if they're tyrants, even if they're the murderous dictators. Uh, He tries to be nice to them, hoping that he can then talk to them, even though in his actions, he can be very tough. So Pompeo has promised that he's going to stand up, that Trump is going to stand up for the people in Hong Kong. Let's hope he does. But right now, I know he's going over there and they're in a trade battle. We're in this trade argument with the Chinese, which I think is the right thing to do. But he doesn't want to speak up for the people of Hong Kong. But it is just so moving, uh, so uh, desperately sad to watch a quarter of the population come out trying to keep themselves safe from this gobbling government. uh, While here uh, we have people on CNN talking about knocking Crowder off the air because they don't like the jokes he makes. That is is a very, very uh, pitiful, pitiful thing. All right. Let me end with a final reflection. Here is a story I heard on NPR that I just love. It's about the Avengers movie, the the big one, Avengers Endgame, which I don't think has broken the record for the biggest box office ever, but it has gotten up there. It is certainly huge. And let let me read this to you. It's by Nita Ulubai. Ulubai. Um, One of the biggest movies of all time, Avengers Endgame, was completely excised. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me start again. A star of Avengers Endgame, one of the biggest movies of all time, was completely excised from a modified pirated version of the film, along with everything else in the film seen as feminist or gay. An anonymous fan edited out shots, scenes, and characters in a defeminized version circulating now on an illegal streaming site. Brie Larson (coughs) was cut out. She's Captain Marvel. Uh, There's a scene... Uh, where Hawkeye teaches his daughter to shoot. And uh, the person who edited it out said, young women should learn skills to become good wives and mothers and leave the fighting to men, said the editor. Uh, The role of Black Panther is minimized. The editor said he's not that important. And Spider-Man doesn't get rescued by women characters anymore. Uh, Male characters no longer hug. This particular defeminized edit is just the latest example of a trend, uh, says a professor of film and media. Uh, This has happened before. 20 years ago, a fan edited Jar Jar Binks out of The Phantom Menace uh, because Jar Jar Binks was supposedly a a black stereotype. Um, But this is uh, really different. This is trying to take out the wokeness out of the Avengers films. Now, personally, I think superheroes are the perfect place for wokeness because they're completely ridiculous. They have no reality. The women are super powerful, so they're just the same as men. Uh, the, you know, they're they're all in those suits, so nobody's uh, ever having sex. They don't. Nobody gets pregnant. No, Captain Marvel will never get pregnant uh, and never have to deal with that. She's never going to be asked to show tenderness or generosity or kindness or any of the great female values that make the world turn around. She's only going to be, be uh, called upon to demonstrate male values because that is, of course, the world that the left is trying to make, a dehumanized humanity. That is what the left is looking for. But what struck me about this story, and obviously it's childish going around editing out films, but again, again, it does speak to conservative failures to tell stories 
and keep those stories protected from the left. Because most of these stories were, a lot of these stories were conservative uh, in the sense that we mean, in the sense that they were pro-freedom, they were pro-America, they were pro-patriotism. When they first came out, it is the left that once again has eaten them away from the inside and turned them into these woke, uh, denationalized, dehumanized stories. It's the left that has done this. You're the, the superheroes you're watching. Remember, I grew up reading the same comics as everybody's watching the movies now. Like these stories have been taken over and that's why they always say, oh, we want a lesbian black James Bond instead of creating a lesbian black superhero who can be um, who can be the new James Bond, which they're not capable of doing. They take the institutions that are there, they eat into them, they wear their skins and they demand the prestige that was earned by the old institution. They're doing it in entertainment as well. This is a childish reaction to it, but it should tell uh, people on the right that we need to create a culture that is safe from the left, that is not a woke culture, that is a freedom culture, an American culture, a patriotic culture, and a national culture. Uh, We need to create that and defend it from the left and keep them from eating it away on the inside. Mailbag tomorrow. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. I will answer all your questions and solve all your problems right then, right there. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angul. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey guys, over on the Matt Wall Show today, a conservative activist has uh, has his Harvard acceptance rescinded because of bad things he said to his friends privately two years ago. The dirt merchants who dug up this dirt on him uh, win again. And I think when the dirt merchants win, it's a loss for the rest of us, and I'll explain why. Also, O.J. Simpson has joined Twitter, and um, everyone pretended to be disgusted by it, but then 700,000 people went and followed him anyway. What does that say about our culture? And finally... Uh, Speaking of sad statements about our culture, a trans poet is rearranging the alphabet and making up new words. And this is poetry now, we're told. Well, of course, it's nonsense, but we'll talk about that today also on The Matt Wall Show.